I hope that you will join me in the book of 2 Samuel as we look together at chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. What we see in King David here is a virtue that is all too rare in our world today, and especially in this year of our Lord, 2020. It's a virtue that seems to be more and more strained with each passing day. What is it? Kindness. Kindness. Why is it that kindness is so rare in this world, and especially right now? We need to understand that kindness does not come naturally to us as sinful human beings. We may think it does, but it's actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something that God must bring about in his people. But we think it comes naturally to us because often what we call kindness is actually just niceness. What's the difference? Well, we can teach children and train children to be nice and to play nice, but the kind of kindness that we see in King David, as revealed in 2 Samuel 9, is something that requires a lot more strength than simply being nice. To be nice really doesn't require a lot of active strength. We can be passively nice. We can smile. We can act respectful. But kindness, the kind of kindness we see here, must be done It is active, and it requires strength of character, strength of character, character that is shaped and molded after the character of God, the God who is kind. And we've been told that King David is a king, a man after God's own heart. David's heart reflects the heart of God, and so we need to learn from what we see in David here. But remember this truth, the strength of your character can be measured by the extent to which you show to others the same kindness that God has shown to you with no strings attached, with no strings attached. Is that strength of character evident in your life? Well, I invite you and I challenge you to measure the kindness in your life against the example we see here in King David. Is this strength present in you? Let's read together 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? To whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? In David, here in this verse, we see the strength to remember kindness and to forget bitterness. The strength to remember kindness and to forget bitterness. Look at 
the person that King David wants to show kindness to, to left of the house of Saul. Saul. Here's what you need to understand about the context. Saul was David's arch enemy. King Saul was the first king of Israel, and he did everything, everything within his power to try to kill David. He saw David as a rival, as a threat, even though David made it very clear to him repeatedly that he had no ambition to take the throne from him. Nevertheless, Saul was David's enemy, a lethal enemy, in fact. And yet, here we see David asking the question, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Now that Saul has been killed by the Philistines, is there anyone left in his household to whom I can show kindness? David wants to show kindness to the household of his enemy. This is radical. This is shocking. And it's even more shocking when you understand that this is written in the context of ancient Near Eastern culture. When family rivalries and family loyalty was intense, very intense, they would put the Hatfields and the McCoys to shame. The rivalry here is intense. And so that if your family is wronged by another family, then you have a moral obligation to seek revenge upon that other family. It's a brutal rivalry. And yet David wants to show kindness to the house of Saul. Kindness. What is this kindness? The word he uses here is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed, which depending on how it's used in the scriptures can have different shades of meaning. Sometimes it's translated loyalty. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love. But the key thing we need to see here is that if someone shows kindness, chesed, in this sense, they are showing that they have the power to show mercy to someone without having an obligation. They don't have to show mercy. They can, but they don't have to. And so we see David wants to show kindness. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show goodness to his enemy, the household of Saul. But he doesn't have to. He chooses to. Now, why on earth would he do that? Well, look at the very end of the verse. For Jonathan's sake. Who is Jonathan? Jonathan was Saul's son. He would have been first in line to the throne of Israel if it were not for David. And so David and Jonathan were the most unlikely of friends, but in fact they became best friends, blood brothers. And what David is showing in 2 Samuel 9 is how he's remembering a promise that he made to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. When Jonathan said to him in verse 14, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. 
So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. David made a sacred promise to his friend Jonathan. And we see he's keeping his promise. He's remembering kindness. Even though Jonathan is now dead, he was killed with his father Saul against the Philistines, still David is remembering the kindness that he promised. But not just to Jonathan. He's doing it for Jonathan's sake. He's doing it because of the promise he made to Jonathan. But he's willing to show this kindness to anyone who remains in the house of Saul. He remembers kindness. But even as he's remembering kindness, he's forgetting bitterness. Remember, David has every reason to have bitterness toward the household of Saul. Because after Saul and Jonathan are killed at the end of 1 Samuel, was that the end of David's rivalry with the house of Saul? No, by no means. In fact, Saul has another son, Ishbosheth, who then comes to the throne and initiates a civil war in Israel. So that now David is on the run again and has to wage a civil war in order to ascend to the throne that God had promised him. David has every reason to harbor bitterness toward the house of Saul. And yet, he chooses to show kindness for the sake of Jonathan. He remembers kindness, but he forgets this bitterness. What does that mean for your life? The strength of your character, the strength of your moral fiber, and your integrity can be measured by the extent to which these qualities and these virtues are present in your life right now. Notice that David is proactive in wanting to show kindness. He doesn't just sit back and wait for an opportunity and say, well, I'd be happy to be kind or merciful to someone if I had the opportunity. No, he goes out of his way. He says, is there anyone left? He makes it known throughout the kingdom. I want to know if there is anyone remaining from the house of Saul. Tell me, because I am ready and prepared to show kindness to them. Are you that proactive in looking for someone to show kindness to in your life? Remember, we can teach children to be nice and to play nice. But this kind of kindness, this is a reflection of the character of God. This takes strength. We may think of it as weak or passive, but remember, we've just seen in 2 Samuel 8 how David is anything but weak and passive. He has just gone north, south, east, and west and had the enemies of Israel for breakfast. <laughs> He has shown his power and his ability on the battlefield. But that same strength, that same zeal and passion to serve God and to serve God's people is also evident in his desire to show kindness even to his enemies. Even to his enemies. 
So notice how he's proactive and also notice that he's looking for people who, by any natural understanding, would be opposed to him. These are people who would have wanted for Saul to still be alive. They would have wanted for Ishbosheth to remain on the throne, and yet David goes after them. How can we explain this? Well, let's keep reading to understand what is motivating David. Verse 2. Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Here we see in David the strength to define kindness by God's standard. The strength to define kindness by God's standard. Look at verse 3. Having summoned Ziba, a former servant of Saul's household, he puts the question directly to him. Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Not just generic kindness, not just kindness as defined by other people or other nations, but God's kindness. That is the definition of kindness. That is the kind of kindness that David wants to show to anyone who remains from the house of Saul. And that takes strength. And if you don't see how that requires strength, then you don't really understand the kindness of this God. David bears witness to this God's kindness in Psalm 68 where he says in verse 4, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God and his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Look at what David says. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. 
He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. The common theme here is that God shows kindness and mercy to those who otherwise would have no support. God shows mercy and kindness to those who are forgotten, who are overlooked by most people in this world. That is where God's mercy and kindness is to be seen. God glorifies himself, brings honor to his holy name by being a father to those who otherwise would have no parents, by looking out for widows, by caring for prisoners, by putting the lonely in a family. Only this God, the God of Israel, would do that and can do that. But he also does it for people who don't deserve his favor at all. This is Israel we're talking about. The very people whom God brought out of slavery in Egypt and then brought them into the wilderness and then complained because they didn't like the food. And they cried out to God and and to his servant Moses, have you brought us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to be buried in? What are we doing? This food tastes horrible. (laughs) Never mind that they're free. Never mind that God is providing for them. They are ungrateful and rebellious. And they are spurning His love. And yet, He continues to provide for them day in and day out. And He gets all the glory and all the credit. But David has also seen God's kindness in his own life. In his own life. God has been providing for him. No matter how many enemies he faced, whether it was the Philistines, Saul, Ishbosheth, you name it, God has been providing for David. He has been rescuing him out of one danger after another. And whether he's hiding in a cave, whether he's hiding among the Philistines, Wherever he is, David has seen God's goodness and God's kindness in his own life. And so he, he doesn't measure kindness just by being nice or just by giving a token favor to a descendant of King Saul. He wants to show to a descendant of Saul, one of his enemies, he wants to show the very same kindness that God has shown him in his own life with no strings attached. No strings attached. Because Ziba says, well, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. And we know why he's lame in both feet, because if you go back to 2 Samuel 4, 4, when the news about King Abner was passed along, that he had been killed, we read, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. And what you need to understand about being a disabled person in this day and time is that while God commanded his people to care for disabled persons, From a political standpoint, he has nothing to offer David. He has nothing to offer. 
And so Ziba's saying, well, I mean, there is the son of Jonathan, but you should know, not a lot to be gained there, David. But David isn't seeing Mephibosheth, or anyone for that matter, for what he can gain from them. He's seeing them as a recipient of God's kindness, the same kindness that he wants to show to them. And look at how Mephibosheth is brought in. Mephibosheth has absolutely no idea why he's being brought in. He's not told. He's brought in, and look at how scared he is. He must have been trembling, because what would have been most common in this day and time is for the triumphant king to completely eliminate, to completely eradicate any other threat to what he has achieved, to his throne, to his kingdom, to his future. And so it would have made all kinds of sense for Mephibosheth to think, okay, that's it. Now he's going to kill me. And yet look at what David says to him when he bows down to pay him honor. He calls out his name. (laughs) Mephibosheth! At your service, your servant, he replied. And look at these beautiful, beautiful words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And notice, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. David doesn't have to do any of this. And it's human nature to try to wiggle out of our obligations when they become cumbersome. and We don't want to do them anymore. We are excellent at rationalizing our way out of our obligations. And David could have said, well, you know, I did make that promise to Jonathan, but then there was this whole civil war with Ishbosheth, so I think that kind of nullifies any obligation I may have had to Jonathan or to the household of Saul. But David doesn't say that at all. He doesn't think that at all. He makes good on his promise. And he could have said, well, maybe I'll give a piece of the land to one of Saul's descendants. And that'll just be a token favor to signify I'm good and I'm kind. No, he gives all the land, all the farmland that belonged to the house of Saul to his grandson. David is wholehearted in his desire to show mercy and kindness. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, you will always eat at my table. You are welcome in my house, in Jerusalem, at my table. This is the ultimate form of hospitality and welcome. (laughs) This is the ultimate form of mercy and kindness. And David is so generous in showing it. And again, why? Well, he's doing it for his father, for Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, for his sake. But remember, ultimately, it's because of God, because he wants to show the kindness of God. And it is not until you and your own life understand just how kind God has been to you 
and is being to you right now if you're still living and breathing, that you will have the strength of character to show that mercy and that kindness to other people. Because you want to know how kind God is to you? Listen to these words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, no strings attached. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And just in case you're thinking, well, that's pretty high and mighty of Jesus to teach that way. I mean, that, that's radical teaching for sure. But who is he to make that claim? Well, Jesus not only taught this, he backed it up with his own life because as he was being crucified by people who didn't understand who he was or why he came, for people who despised him, who rejected him, who spurned God's love revealed to them through Jesus, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not that that absolves them of their responsibility, but he recognizes they don't fully understand what they're doing. And he's modeling in his life and in his death the kind of kindness that we see in God the Father who is good and merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. And we see this in, in what we call common grace. Common grace. There is special grace that God pours out on his people through Jesus Christ and all those who confess him as Lord. But there's also common grace that's available to any person on earth. And just the ability to breathe, the ability for your heart to keep pumping blood throughout your body, the ability to have food, to have rain that nourishes the land, all of that is common grace. And if you are breathing right now, you are a recipient of God's common grace. And it doesn't matter how grateful you are or how wicked you are. Are you aware of that? Or do you just kind of brush it off and ignore it? If we are to have the strength of character to show the kindness that we see in David, we need to define mercy and define kindness by God's standard. And it is radical and it is generous. It's it should blow our mind how generous God is with his kindness and his mercy. Not for good people, but for sinners like you, like me. People who ignore his good gifts. Who rebel against him. Who pretend like he can't see us. And who run from him. 
he still shows his kindness if you're still alive. It's available to you right now. And if you know just how kind and how merciful and how good God has been to you, then you will say, who am I to withhold that mercy or that kindness from another human being? I'm no more deserving than they are before God. I am no more deserving. Our attitude and our posture should be just like Mephibosheth in these verses. We fall down before God's king and we say, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Who am I? Is that your attitude and your posture? Or do you say, of course I deserve God's kindness. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. I deserve to breathe, right? I deserve to be alive. I deserve good gifts. We all do. That's fair. That's equal. Praise be to God. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is merciful. He is patient. But his patience is meant to lead you to repentance, to receive the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to fall down before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I can't save myself before a holy and righteous God. I'm a dead dog. And the very best that I can offer is filthy rags. What is your attitude and your posture? Do you have the strength of character to remember kindness and to forget bitterness toward your enemies, no matter what they have done to you? Do you have the strength of character to define kindness by God's definition and by God's standard? Or would you like to have your own dictionary on that subject? Which is it for you? Let's continue and see the risk that David takes in verse 9. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. In these verses, we see that David shows the strength of character to risk everything and to expect nothing in return. Now, you may wonder, how could David possibly be risking anything by showing this kindness to Mephibosheth? We need to understand how an ancient king would view this situation. If you are an ancient king back then, you are trying to solidify your dynasty. And that means that you want people at your table who can contribute politically or militarily. You want people who are brilliant. You want people who look good on camera. But with Mephibosheth, from that standpoint back then, 
he doesn't possess any of those qualities. Now, things are completely different now, and we're, we give thanks for that, but back then, a disabled person like this would have run the risk of tarnishing the appearance of David's table. Notice how we're told repeatedly that he was lame in both feet. The narrator is emphasizing this is a risk that David is taking, and that other people would look at this and say, what are you thinking, David? What are you thinking? That's not the kind of person you want at your table, and yet he does. He does. He welcomes him with open arms. There's also a risk because Mephibosheth has a son, we're told in verse 12, named Micah. And that means that David, by inviting a descendant of King Saul to his table and into his house, is giving the opportunity for rebellion. He's allowing this grandson of Saul to have influence at his royal table. There's a risk. There's a risk here. But notice that he doesn't expect anything in return. He's not doing this to get anything from Mephibosheth. There are no strings attached. And what you need to know in your life is that if you attempt to show this kind of kindness to people, you're taking a risk. They may not reciprocate. You may get your feelings hurt. There may be a confrontation. They may not want your kindness. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, are we doing it because we want to get something from them, or are we doing it with no strings attached? It takes strength of character to show this kind of kindness, the kindness of God, without expecting anything in return. Is that kindness evident in your life right now? Or do you just show this kind of mercy to people who look like you do, or think like you do, or vote like you do? This is the test. What do you do in the presence of people who are completely different than you are, and who see the world in a completely different way than you do? What do you do then? Are you willing to take this risk and expect nothing in return? Because here's what the Lord Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 14. As he was sitting at a table with a Pharisee at a great banquet, Jesus chose to tell this parable. In Luke 14, verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. What we see in how David is kind to Mephibosheth is a foretaste of King Jesus and the nature of his banquet table in his kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
And we see that people like Mephibosheth are the very kinds of people that he invites. And so I challenge you to find yourself in this parable. Are you someone who's invited but has more important things to do, more urgent affairs to attend to? Or are you someone who knows you do not deserve to be at this master's table, but you come gladly and joyfully and gratefully because this master has invited you. He's invited sinners like you and like me. Will you come? Will you receive the kindness of this master and this Lord? And if you have, are you showing that same kindness in your life to anyone, even your enemies, even people who are the polar opposite of you in terms of how they see the world and how they think and how they live? Who are you to withhold that kindness from them? Do you have the strength of character to show it? No strings attached. That will be the measure of your character. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that we do not have to wonder what it means to be merciful or to be kind. That you have revealed to us in abundant fashion through the example of David what it looks like to show kindness even to our enemies. But ultimately, Lord, we know that we can see your kindness in Christ Jesus our Lord. And not only can we see it, we can receive that kindness and that mercy. We can know the power of your grace for sinners like us. I pray, Lord, that we would never, ever take that gift for granted, that we would receive it gladly, and that we would be generous in extending it to all with no strings attached. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you could join us for this online service. If you have any questions or prayer concerns or ministry needs, be sure to reach out by email. Have a wonderful week.